If you would stand with me, we're going to read from Genesis 3, verses 7 through 13. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you, gave, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Can you remember a moment in your childhood when you were ashamed of something that you did? Go ahead, answer. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make you do that. But can you? I mean, can you remember a moment where you were like, you look back and you think, man, I was really ashamed of that. And maybe you thought, man, I felt really bad. I, uh, when I was uh, in the third grade, I'd won this award for the most outstanding student. It would have been probably the only grade that I could have won an award like that. But at the end of the year, they had this project, and I just let it go and then I let it go and let it go and then finally I just didn't turn it in you know so I just received this kind of award and then right after that this same teacher is coming to my parents and saying where is the project Jared didn't turn it in and I had to like say I just didn't do it at all you know and it was one of those things where you're like man I can't believe it at that moment though it, that, that you would be so upset about that but in the moment, I, I, I was so, uh, there was so much shame and so much guilt. And I mean, it was one of the worst. I mean, I'll never forget that. And you think, that's kind of, is that all you got? Well, that's all I got when I'm thinking about little childhood, like the thing that really stands out. I'm sure that happened over and over again as I was growing up. So I think we grow up with shame. Do, do y'all like, have you... Now, some of you may have grown up with a lot of shame because your parents shamed you. You know, we don't necessarily live in a shame culture where there's this intense kind of feeling of, of that. But, I mean, you may have just had a parent that was constantly making you kind of feel that, maybe to an undue kind of place. But we, we do live in that kind of world where we sense or feel a level of shame and guilt. And we have to decide how we're going to deal with it. I mean, there must be a way that you've dealt with it over the years. Your shame and guilt. I mean, you, you probably figure out some things that you might do that will kind of help you. Uh, you may be one of those people that love to pass the buck. Don't we love to do that? Like, put that on somebody else. Like, I'm, I feel this. I start to... And, and maybe... 
for whatever reason, you, you haven't let your heart get so hardened that you don't feel anymore. So you immediately just kind of like figure out how to almost pass the ball, you know, or, or throw it over and say, man, I don't know. They did that. They, you know. For some of us here, we might say, I've always had a scapegoat. My parents, my boss, my spouse, my personality, God. I mean, I, you could have a long list of things you say, hey, that's always been my way. I, I didn't choose to kind of grow up the way I did, but I mean, that is who I am. And you just got to deal with that. That's how I deal with my shame and guilt. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Trying to consider where are we on that and how are we dealing with it? And are we dealing with those things biblically? Are we dealing with them in a way that would give honor and glory to God? Now, remember the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 3, set the stage for everything else in biblical history and help you understand the story of your life. It's the story of the beginning of man and it's, it's uh, this beautiful creation that is marred by the fall, it's broken by sin, and that is kind of what we see. Remember, Adam and Eve were in this unimaginable splendor, and then we see Satan come in, uh, kind of taking over the serpent, and he comes in into the garden, questions God, they believe Satan over God, and that results in a total rejection of the goodness of God. And as a result, it brings all types of trouble. And shame and, bl- and guilt and blame, they kind of show up really close to that happening. So they get this newfound knowledge apart from God and it results in this, this new knowledge gives them the ability to respond in a different way. And you'll see them do that. Now, I want to read to you real quick as we get started a couple of things that I think are helpful uh, in this regard. So, uh, because somebody might ask you these uh, type questions, your kids might, if you're trying to explain to them, hey, uh, they say, I don't understand, like, what, what is sin like in me, or what is it caused in me? And they may ask some questions about it. And so, what is the sinfulness of that condition into w- which all mankind has fallen, is one catechism question. And the answer is, the sinfulness of the condition into which all mankind fell is the guilt of Adam's first sin. The lack of original righteousness and the corruption of our whole nature together with all actual transgressions which come from that nature. So you're like, okay. I, I, you might say, I, some of those words, I would not use those normally. But you could just say to someone, listen, Adam's guilt, Romans 5 says, becomes your guilt. The next thing you could say is, Adam and Eve were in the garden in a state of innocence, but after that garden experience, when we see his children, they don't look innocent. Right? And you look at the rest of the human race in that way, we would move on to say, the corruption of our nature. That means that we are by nature sinners, and as soon as we can begin to sin, you start seeing sin in someone's life. And all the actual transgressions that come from it, being 
that the sin that flows from it. So you want to know what man's like in their situation after the fall? That's what it is like. Now, another thing, uh, another question is, what is the misery into which all mankind fell through Adam's first sin? They lost communion with God. They are under His wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. That's what you're left with. So it corrupts you. There's a corruption that takes place. And the results of that corruption is that you're under God's wrath and curse, that you can expect hell, that you will die. All those things are a part of the fallen condition. And so I think it's important that we note this. So this morning we're going to say, okay, man has fallen, and how does that affect things? We're, we're going to look at that, and we're primarily going to focus in this morning on shame, guilt, and blame. How do you deal with your shame? How do you deal with guilt? How do you deal with blame? And that's kind of one of those things that you'll see throughout the Scripture, but we're going to look at that again this morning. So, let's go. Chapter 3, verse 7. The first one, shame here. It's, the, it's a painful effect of the fall. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. How do you try to get rid of shame? This newfound knowledge messed them up. How are they going to deal with it? Do you ever kind of, when you're trying to think about it, have you ever thought about all the ways that you've tried to deal with it? I'm going to bring up some more. We kind of talked about it. I want you to get a little bit further into the just the aspect of shame the things that you have struggled with there are those things that maybe you're really ashamed of that you kind of don't ever want to bring out again and look at them and then there are things maybe on a regular basis that you would feel some level of shame it's not like maybe a major thing in your life but it it might be something still that you're dealing with c.s lewis in the problem of pain talks about the issue of shame and he gives a number of ways that we seek to cover our shame. You ready? Number one, we look at others. That's a good way for you to not have to look at your own shame. You look at others, especially those who are worse than you. You want to gather around you as many bad people as you possibly can or at least in your mind, and you think, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as my spouse. You might say something like that. Serlio, listen to that. I just said that laugh, sorry. I heard somebody like jabbering back there messing with me. But that that is what, like, that is one of those things where you can come up with these ways that you're thinking, I'm not that bad. The second way is we focus on corporate sins or social guilt. The government. That doesn't ever happen. Business. Society in general. This particular industry. And so you look at this 
the corporate sin, these major sins, and you're like, no, I I mean, look what they're doing. I mean, I, I, I just can't even stand it. I could spend hours talking about how bad those people are. And what does that do? I don't have to look at myself. It's a fun way to get all the emphasis off the person in the mirror. So you kind of, first thing is you gather up a group of people that you think are worse than you, and you say, I'm not as bad as them. The second way is you take all the institutions of the world and say, surely I'm not as bad as them. I mean, everybody involved in that is evil. Third, when you're thinking about this kind of thing, well, wait, before I do, I just... And I, I thought about this again and kind of looked back over it. But I, have you ever, um, and I, I do want to uh, read it because I think it's interesting. It, how many of you have listened to the Charlie Daniels song, Simple Man? Okay, thank you. I always do that for you, you know, like good country music. Yeah. But I ain't nothing but a simple man. They call me a redneck. I reckon that I am, but there's things going on that make me mad down to the core. I have to work like a dog to make ends meet. There's crooked politicians and crime in the streets. And I'm madder than heck. And I'm not going to deal with it anymore. What's he saying? I'm looking around. I'm looking around and I see what's going on. And I'm sitting here having to deal with that even though, you know, like I guess I'm a better person than that. But anyway, the third way trying to cover our shame. We assume that time cancels it. So, all the lust from my youthful age or period, every time that I was disobedient to my parents, every time I had some kind of attitude that was wrong towards them, every time I told that lie that would just... I just, it wasn't a bad lie, it was a white lie. Every time I did that, somehow all of that stuff forgotten. We think that it's kind of like, I don't know, swept under the rug or like swept into some pile then taken off and sent away. We're just carried off to the dump, kind of. But I, I think it's interesting for us to recognize Time may cancel it in your mind, but oftentimes it does not in someone else's. You know? And like we want to point out, and with God, God knows what has happened. We cannot throw that aside. It's not something, He knows everything. He has a perfect memory. It's interesting, we really can remember other people's sins, but not our own. And it's not as close to home. I saw someone that I had been uh, known, you know, 15 years ago, and there was tragic sin that was kind of involved in their life. And when I saw them after 15 years, do you know what came into my mind? That sin. It just didn't. For them... It, it, you know, sure, after 15 years, are they recounting that day by day by day? No. But it's still like stuck there. Okay. 
So, the last one I would say, just kind of help you, and again, this is C.S. Lewis speaks of all these things. He says, thinking that there is safety in numbers. Well, if, if, everybody, if everybody's in this state, then we're, we're going to all be there together. That's frightening. We're, we're going to all be on the interstate, like going down the road to hell together. And as long as it's all of us together, no big deal. So we deal with the issue of shame and we say, okay, we have to know we will eventually face God. We will give an account like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We will be exposed. The only way to eradicate our shame is to understand that the blood of Christ cleanses us from our pollution or shame. That's the only way to deal with that. It's to return to the gospel. It is not to say, when I'm weighing all these things, I, and I look over my life, yeah, sure, I've done some bad stuff, but how much better have I done than, than, than evil? Like, I don't, won't it all work out? That is not believing the gospel. The gospel is, no, it doesn't work out. One sin, one sin, one evil thought. It is enough to damn you. So what is the answer? The answer is the righteous judge of the universe has not only... He is both just and justifier of those who have faith in Christ. That, that's how you would say that. Second thing, guilt. The issue of guilt. I think it's so important to see that. It, here's another uh, a painful effect, you could say, of the knowledge of good and evil, gained by evil, is the issue of guilt. What did it result in? Fear and flight as God pursues them, right? Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. And they heard of the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This is, when they're saying Lord God, that is that personal name. The name of relationship. The name of man being in relationship with God. God has walked with them. You know, uh, some people might say, well, I, I mean, when, if you study much, you realize God is spirit. I mean, Jesus became flesh at a point in time in history, but God is spirit. How do we deal with this? I just think it's important to remind you that throughout the Bible, uh, particularly out throughout the Old Testament, you see this angel of the Lord. Adam and Eve sees the angel of the Lord. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua. And a lot of people would say this is the pre-incarnate Christ, right? So you're seeing him in that way. You're, you're experiencing that. And so I think this would be a, a, like something typical of what we would see as the angel of the Lord. And, and he has walked with them. There's intimacy there. 
But when this newfound knowledge comes, the knowledge of good and evil apart from God shows up, there's not only shame, but there's also guilt. They were hiding. By the way, could someone really hide from God? I mean, I, I've always loved studying Jonah. He goes down, 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 and it doesn't matter how far he goes, he never gets away from the presence of God. God's pursuit of him, that's another thing. God doesn't leave them in their situation. He doesn't leave them in this state of feeling guilty and I'm going to run. I'm just going to stay away from him for the rest of my life. God doesn't leave them there. He pursues them. By the way, if you had somebody in your mind today and you're like, they are so guilty, I can't wait until God d deals with them as he should. If you have, you know, not that you've ever had anybody like that. But if you did, the beautiful thing to be reminded of is God pursues Adam and Eve. He pursues them in their guilt. He does not leave them in their guilt. He pursues them. He doesn't sit up there and say, well, we'll see. Will they come back to me? He pursues them. I mean, it's very close to what you see with the prodigal son. God rushing in. Prodigal son comes from afar. He looks up. Boom. God's after him, pursuing him. I, I just think it's important to note that. He is an all-knowing God. He knows what they have done. He knows all that they have done. He knows their guilt. Do you know your guilt? I mean, do you really? Like, I mean, do you do 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 I do I know like how apart from the grace of God, what you would stamp over my life is guilty? Do do you believe that? Like, is is that clear in your head? Would you be able to say, like, I am guilty as charged? Would you be able to be honest before the Lord? How do people deal with that sometimes? Listen, this is important. How do people sometimes deal with their guilt? They redefine the standard. Do you hear me? They redefine the standard. They'll say something like, what I thought was sin when I was younger is no longer sin today. You could redefine it. Rewrite God's standards. Cast them aside. Take a pair of scissors and cut them out. That's kind of like God's standards of right and wrong. Sometimes we can do, and honestly, some of us are sitting here right now in our lives saying, you know what? I had to forget that truth. I had to push that out. Because it brought the crushing reality that I'm guilty. That's what really religious people do that think that they can like get to God by their own efforts. This is what they do. 
they minimize the weightiness of God's standards so that, you know what? They won't be pronounced guilty in the end. They'll be accepted because they have so minimized what God has said, they can be accepted now. They don't want to, that's why they don't really want to dive in and think deeply about their sin in the heart because if they have to deal with that, they're going to be pronounced guilty. Is that the Christian way to do it? Is that the Christian's response to guilt? The Christian's response is not to redefine it, and it's not to kind of uh, minimize it. The Christian's response is to see it for what it is. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. That is, He satisfied God's righteous requirement. And not only for ours only, but for, also for the sins of the whole world. That is, for all that will believe, all that will enter into this understanding, all that will put their faith and hope and trust in Christ, they can be pronounced not guilty, but rather, even though you are a guilty person in Christ, you stand in, good in a good place, in a right place, justified. He took on your guilt, He satisfied the wrath of God for the guilt that you had, and He gave you His righteousness so that you can be in good standing. Third thing, working through this. So we deal with the issue of shame and guilt, and then the third thing is this, people dealing with their sin, this, this is just, I mean, helpful to see. The third thing that, they, that we can do, let's say, is in verses 11 through 13. We can blame. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Remember, the woman listened to the serpent, the man listened to the woman, and no one listened to God. And so there begins this kind of blame game that takes place you know um in our culture like if you were to think about us as a culture and as even the christian culture you might say we do have a tendency to want to to think of our sin as a disease and not as sin just habitual sin we want somebody to say oh you have this particular thing wrong with you not that you have had a, this pattern of sin that's led you down this road like we struggle with that we struggle with taking responsibility for the things uh, that we have done we want to and this is hard I and mean, we want to be victims we're, we're a victim we're a victim uh, from what the world's done to us we might be a victim because of the way that we were raised uh, we are victims in every way possible i'm a victim i'm a victim i'm a victim and you kind of want to say, listen, when are you going to take responsibility for what you've done? 
When are you going to stop blaming everyone else for your shame and guilt? When are you just going to stand up one day and look in the mirror and say, what I have chosen to do, I have chosen to do. I own it. I own it. The way I responded to my wife tonight, I own it. The way that I treated my spouse today, I own it. The way I did not work in my job today, I own it. I own it. The way I've not pursued relationships or friendships with people and blessed them, I own it. That my lack of generosity, I own it. When am I going to say, I'm going to stand there and say, look, I own what I have not done. I own it. And stop blaming others for what I have done. Why don't just say, I'm not a victim, I'm a sinner. Because this is the first step to getting help. I was watching a video this week and this guy was talking, I, I've, I think this stuff is really, in, this guy's interesting, but he was talking about um, trying to present something to people and uh, he said like you've got to identify the sickness so that they'll like rush after the medicine they'll embrace it or I mean you could think of something like you have to identify the problem that they are dealing with every day you've got to say this is a problem you've been dealing with for years You've been dealing with that since you were a young person. Don't you know? Don't you remember? Like you've been dealing with this. And I want to help you address it once and for all. You, you've, been, you, you've been living in shame and guilt your whole life. And the way that you've dealt with it it's by saying, well, everybody does this, or I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or the government, the government's ruined my whole life. You've been dealing with that your whole life. You, you've been dealing with that your whole life. You've woken up every day of your life for 30 years and said, I'm this way because. And you've never really dealt with the root issue, the root problem. But if you don't deal with the problem, guess what you don't do? You don't find the proper solution to your problem. The fall brought shame, guilt, and blame. And God comes into that, covers them by way of killing an animal and, and, and providing a substitute. But ultimately, he's going to deal with that in such a massive way. You ready? You want to know what to deal, how to deal with your shame and guilt and blame? You ready? You ready? 
Kent Hughes says, So what are we sons and daughters of Adam to do since we share such solidarity with him in our sins that we are thoroughly sinful and utterly responsible and blamable? What is the answer? May I suggest that in a sense that we are to blame Jesus, or more accurately, we are to rest all our blame on him. How so? Paul explains, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, the first Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Our second Adam was the one man in history who never tried to pass the buck because as a sinless man, he never needed to pass the responsibility for sin. Rather, our sinless God, man and Messiah and Savior, he said, pass the blame to me. The buck stopped with Jesus. How do you deal with shame, guilt, blame? You cast, you cast it on Him. You trust that it has been accomplished. All that He promised He would do, He has done. And we don't have to look at each other, point at everyone, talk dirty about everybody we know. We can say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the mercies that You've shown us. We thank You for how good You are to us, sinners in need of a Savior. We trust that we alone um, are guilty, but our hope is built on one who took our guilt and gave us His righteousness. May we live lives that honor You, are pleasing to You, demonstrate for others the goodness and the mercy that You've shown. In Christ's name, amen.